I hate waiting. I got in the Amazon returns line at Kohl's a week ago, and there were two people in front of me. And then as soon as I got in the line, like two or three people came in behind me. And I had failed to notice something important. That is that next to the woman in front of me was this huge box like this by this by this with handles. It looked like Santa's sleigh. And so when it was her turn to go to the counter, she could hardly move this thing and get it up to the counter. And then she slowly reaches over and takes out the first blue and white bubble wrap package with a smile on it. And I'm about to lose my mind. And then it's another, and it's another. And I am thinking very uncharitable thoughts. I'm like, do you really need all that stuff? Do you not like any of it? I mean, how often do you back up the tractor trailer and bring all this in here? Oh my gosh, waiting is hard. But it's really hard when we're waiting on God. Because we're like, God, you're all powerful. You can do anything. There is nothing too hard for you. Why have you not moved? Why are you not doing this? Why are we still waiting? What is it tonight in your life that you are waiting for? You've been praying about it. And God has not answered yet. And you are waiting. Let me see a show of hands if you have that in mind. You have that in mind? Okay. All right, then here's the second question. What are you doing while you wait? Are you losing hope? Are you feeling quietly resentful? Are you pulling away from God because you feel like he's letting your life slip away? You see, it turns out that it really matters what you and I do when we're waiting. I read that executives at Houston Airport, I don't know whether it was Hobby or Bush, got lots of passengers complaining about how long they had to wait at the baggage claim. So the execs were like, we've got to try to solve this. Um, so they hired more baggage handlers. And by throwing more staff at it, they were able to get the wait time at the baggage claim down to eight minutes, which is pretty remarkable. That's way ahead of the industry average. Think about that. To get eight minutes from the plane to the baggage claim, that's like really fast. But the complaints kept on coming. And they did not understand, like, hey, come on, we just fixed this for you. Why are you still so unhappy? And then the execs figured out, oh, it only, from where our arrival gates are, it only takes about a minute on average for a typical passenger to walk from that arrival gate to the baggage claim. So they're still stand, standing there for seven minutes watching the stupid conveyor go around. So here's how they solved it. They put the arrival gates farther away. Like, have you under, ever wondered when you landed O'Hare why you're always A34? You know, or B, you know, so, but here's what happened. People, it, people took them, you know, seven, eight, nine minutes to get from the arrival gate to the baggage claim. And when they got to the baggage claim, their bag is already there. Complaints stopped. Everybody's happy. And uh, according to MIT researcher Richard Larson, 
who is, believe it or not, the world expert on the psychology of waiting in lines. I did not realize that was something you could aspire to, but you can. You and I can tolerate occupied time much better than we can tolerate unoccupied time. So when we're walking from our gate to the baggage claim, that's occupied time. When we're standing there at the thing doing nothing and just watching that same red suitcase go around a 52nd time, you're just like, I can't stand this. Well, tonight, I want to give us all something to do while we wait, while we wait on God. And we're going to learn from God's people as they are suffering and they are waiting and waiting and they've been waiting and they're waiting for God to move. They cry out to God in Isaiah 64 verse 1, our first reading tonight. Oh, that you would just like burst open the heavens and come down. Why don't you tear them open and and like do something? Have you prayed that? Have you felt that? I have. Well, then let's listen to the rest of their prayer because I think it will teach us some practices that we need when you and I are waiting on God. All right, practice number one, look back. Look back. Look back to how God has moved in the past. I mean, right now in your present, you're waiting for God to move. And if it's been a long time, you may be thinking, maybe he doesn't do these kind of things. Maybe he won't do it. Maybe he can't do it. But before this, God has moved in your life. That's why you're praying to a God. He has moved in the world. He's moved in other people's lives. You know that. And so, look back. Verse 3 Uh, The writer here in Isaiah 64 says, When you came down long ago, you did awesome deeds beyond our highest expectations. And oh, how the mountains quaked. Now, this is not just poetry. Mountains shaking, quaking. When God came down on Mount Sinai, remember, here's what happened. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared. Lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. People were so scared, they actually asked God to stop speaking to them. They were so afraid. So God has shown what he can do. And before that, by the way, that was just the dessert after he rescued two million people from forced labor camps. He did that. And so since he's done all that before, it builds some confidence. Oh, God will move again. And then when you look back, you can start to feel like again, oh, as verse 4 says, and it's our key verse tonight, since the world began, no ear has heard, no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. We wait. God works. God works for those who wait. 
And when we see how he has worked, it starts to boost our spirits to see how he may move in this situation. You know, when I first started reading the Bible, where it talks about the people of Israel coming out of Egypt and wandering around in the desert, I used to think, y'all are like the most forgetful dumb people ever. Like, seriously. Like one day, they're in the middle of the desert, it's dusty, it's dry, and they don't have any water and they're complaining and God's, because it's serious. And, and God makes a rock turn into a fire hydrant. And the next day they're going, I don't think we're going to have enough food. We don't like it here. And, and it's like they have the memory of a goldfish. But now I'm a little older and I realize I have the memory of a goldfish. <laughs> I mean, really, God does something wonderful, something that I have prayed for, something I asked for, something even surprisingly wonderful, and I so quickly forget it. I get into the next situation, and I'm thinking, I don't think he's going to come through. I'm worried. I, I keep a prayer journal in Evernote, and one of the notes is devoted to answers. So this week, I decided to go back and look in that note, which I don't go into tons unless there's an answer and I usually put that at the top well I started reading it was a very very long note years upon years of answers and and some really astonishing ones ones I had forgotten many were prayers for people to be healed there were answers for diverticulitis and diabetes and dialysis and uh, uh, more D's I'm feeling the anointing um, I, <laughs> <laughs> surgeries to go well that I prayed for. They went well. I prayed for court hearings to bring justice. They don't always. And they did. I've prayed a lot for people to get good new jobs. For some reason, I have faith to pray for you to get a good new job. So if that's where you are, please tell me. And I have seen many people. A, a, a friend of mine who'd been out of the workforce for over 10 years landed a job. Um, I've prayed for two different couples who were struggling to have a child, and now in the answers, I had a photo of their little baby. I've prayed for a person to have the grace to forgive her brother, which had decades behind it, and now uh, she's in a different place. As much as it depends on her, she's living at peace with him. Another person was struggling financially, and she did not even know I began to pray for her. I started praying she'd be given a raise. She got a raise and a bonus. I like it. Now, my point is not that every prayer gets answered. We know that's not true. But my point is that God has worked. He's done it. I saw it. I wrote it in there. I know it's true. And that gives me hope as I look forward. Can you think of a time when God moved in your life and it was a no-doubter? One of those ones you can go back to. I think that's what they talk about in the Old Testament, the Ebenezer stone, right? The stone of remembrance. Like, I know God did that. We need those. So we look forward and we go, I think he can do this. And it gives us hope. All right, that's practice one while we wait. We look back. And practice number two is to lament. Sometimes... And maybe often we face a situation we did absolutely nothing to cause or bring about. Truly, we are innocent bystanders. But sometimes, sometimes we contributed. 
Maybe the relationship we're praying about is strained. And you know what? That's partly on us. Maybe the financial situation is partly because we made some assumptions and we got into some habits that weren't helpful or whatever. Maybe the health thing is partly because we knew something was going on, but we just didn't go to the doc. You know, whatever. Now, when we realize something like this, don't beat yourself up for it. That does nothing. Absolutely nothing. Non-productive spiritually. But it does do something to lament, to be, just be honest with God. Say, God, yeah, okay. Verse 5, that's what they're doing here. We're constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? They're asking God to move, but they know part of the reason they're in that plight is because they didn't wait on God in the past. When we display even our righteous deeds, like our best day, they're nothing but filthy rags. I picture those rags at the uh, Jiffy Lube or oil change. You know, <laughs> the guys are always <laughs> taking and wiping off the dipstick and then throwing the things because they're so dirty. And, and so these people are just being honest about that with God. I know part of this God is me. I like the deities. You're invisible. I like the deities I could see. And you're always talking about helping the poor and the widow, and I got thinking about myself. So, as Ben Patterson wrote in his book called Waiting, at least as important as the things we wait for is the work God wants to do in us as we wait. So having this conversation with God actually helps you, right? I mean, because it, it's telling the truth about the situation, and it's inviting God in to help work in you whatever could be worked out or improved in you during this time that you're waiting. Uh, one situation I prayed about, and at year six, it did not get better, it got worse. And at year nine, it got worse, sir. And I wore down. I lost the ability to pray. And some friends of ours said, you know what, why don't you take a break? We'll pray for you at this for a while. And when you're ready again, we'll hand it back over to you. It was like, you know, handing them the baton and then they ran a lap and handed it back. And they did it and I was so grateful and I did it. But at year 12, the situation went from worser to worsest. And finally, in year 13, God brought the breakthrough in a, a stunning way that I could not have orchestrated, I can tell you that. Now, during those long, hard years of waiting, which I would not want to repeat, God did show me a few things about myself. I love being in control. I wasn't. I love looking good. I didn't. I, I, when I'm in pain, I learned I pull away. A friend really had the courage to tell me that. And he was right. I didn't want to hear it at the time, but he was right. And most of all, the long wait showed me, you know what? I need to learn how to love people at a deeper level. I love them when they're lovable. During whatever situation you're in right now, is there anything that you're realizing about yourself? Not to hate on yourself, don't do that. But just be in a simple and clear way. Talk to God about that. Invite him into your soul to work whatever he wants to work during this time.
So we look back, we lament, and practice number three, we lean in. We lean in. When you and I are waiting, so often what happens is we start to pull back from God, consciously or subconsciously. We're hurt. Why is he not doing it? And what this says is, go the other way. Lean in. Verse 8, and yet, O Lord, all of this is true. Yet you are our father. You have a responsibility. We're your kids. Yeah, we need a little discipline, but we also need you to provide for your children. So move. We're the clay. We know that. We're just dumb clay. But you're the artist. You make stuff with clay. And so these people are just like leaning into the fact that God is their father. God is the artist. They have a relationship. And they're asking God, would you remember that? A guy named Ron Dunn took his young son to uh, one of those carnivals with all the different rides uh, for his birthday. And his son had been allowed to bring six friends with him. So, uh, so Ron bought this huge roll of tickets. And then every time they'd get to a new ride, he'd peel off seven tickets and hand them out to the seven kids that were there. And they got to the Ferris wheel. And he, he hands out you know, the seventh ticket. And here's this eighth kid with his hand out. <laughs> and Ron's like, who are you? He's like, I'm Bobby. <laughs> so he's like, well, I'm your son's new friend, and he said you'd give me a ticket. And he did. <laughs> of course he did. That's what dads do for their kids, right? And so these people are going, come on, God. You're our father. You're going to peel off a ticket? Come on. They're leaning in. I don't know what that looks like for you, but this is a time for you to lean in and hold out your hand. Now, I I just want to put in a parenthesis here, kind of a pastoral word. During the long waiting, what may often happen is that our faith begins to shift. It changes. It's not quite the same as it was. It may become very mature. It may not, depending on how we respond. But anyway, a lot's going on, and maybe in ways you don't even fully understand yet. So it may well be that you need some fresh ways to lean into God because maybe the ways that have worked for you often are not going to work right now. So maybe you need to pray while you walk your dog. That's not cheating. You know, that, that counts. Maybe you need to go to a concert. Maybe you'll meet God best with friends. It's okay to do your quiet time with friends. That's not cheating either. Um, to make it through a long time of waiting, you may need some, what would I say, expanded range of ways that you can try to lean into God because it's a different different place for you. Now, I don't know which of these three practices might be helpful to you. I hope one or more. But here's what I would say. Don't lose heart, friends. It is God's very nature that he is the God who works for those who wait for him. Those who say, God, I'm not letting you go. I'm holding on. The woman who had been crippled over 18 years and was in the synagogue when Jesus said, be free. 
the woman who had suffered hemorrhaging for 12 years. And Jesus touched her. The guy who'd been born blind since birth. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? See. In the life of the prophet Elijah, there are these two huge prayers, kind of moments that, that stand out to me. One is with fire and the other is with water. When Elijah prays for fire, immediately, bam, fireball explodes out of the sky, burns up the sacrifice, the rocks, the water. It's incredible, and it's immediate. And then Elijah goes and prays for rain, and nothing happens. He goes back and prays for rain, and nothing happens. He prays, and nothing happens. Are you counting? That's the third time. He prays and nothing happens. He prays and nothing happens. He prays and nothing happens. He prays and then a little puff of water moisture comes up off the sea, no bigger than my fist, and turns into a torrential downpour that soaks the drought-hardened soil that's been waiting for that rain and soaks it. Now I wonder, when did God start to answer Elijah's prayer? Amen.